Well, let's pray together. Our gracious God, we give you thanks for your word. As we come to it again this morning, we pray that your blessing will be upon us and we'll understand the things we hear and apply them and rejoice in the wonderful news of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are a whole range of Bible versions in the English language, and my hope is that one of them has long gone out of print. The one called the Jefferson Bible, so called because of the fierce editing of a former US president of that name. Because Jefferson did not believe in the supernatural or miraculous, in his Bible, the resurrection gets the chop. And so Mark's gospel ends rather gloomily with these words, and they laid him in the tomb and sealed it. That's it. End of story. Now it might not surprise you to hear that the Jefferson Bible wasn't much of a bestseller. After all, who wants the story to end like that? And who wants to hear about a saviour who is meant to be all-powerful and who saves anyone who comes to him if he's a dead saviour? Because a dead saviour, let's put it frankly, is no saviour at all. That leads us to the question this morning. What if there was no resurrection of Jesus? What if there was no such thing as life beyond the grave for him or for any of us? When we last looked at the first part of this chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, it was Easter Sunday, and we noted there and then that Paul spoke at length about the importance of Jesus' resurrection to the whole of life, because there was a growing belief at Corinth that somehow Jesus was not raised. In verses 1 to 11 in this chapter then, Paul established a variety of evidences for the resurrection based on his own experience, the scriptures, the witness of 500 other individuals, and also the testimony of the Lord himself. It's what we read this morning as a continuation of his argument that the resurrection is absolutely fundamental to what we believe. And I hope you understand that that is the case. The resurrection is one of the building blocks upon which all Christianity stands and falls. Destroy that foundation by disproving the resurrection and all that is built on top of it falls. Take out the resurrection and you take it all away. Of course, many have tried to do just that over the years, and all have rather spectacularly failed. But even then, I suspect that we really don't know just how important the resurrection really is, and what the consequences might be if the Lord Jesus had not been raised. So Paul gives us this what if. He deals with this topic, leading us next week into other matters relating to life after death. But for now, there are three matters before us. First, Paul says that if Christ has not been raised, there is no hope in death. In verses 12 to 18, Paul lists all the things we would lose if the resurrection was not true. First to go out the window would be doctrine. 
what Paul says is, as we've just said, take away the resurrection and you take away the foundation of what makes up Christian truth. The very body of doctrine that was taught by Jesus, taught by the apostles, and handed down from generation to generation, that's now been put into writing. The collection of historical facts that are either true or they're not true. Next to go out the window would be truth. If Jesus was not raised, then he and the apostles are liars. And what he and they taught is unreliable and can easily be disregarded as false. Verse 15 also reminds us if we deny or take away the resurrection, then we also, it also leads to an eventual denial of the authenticity and the genuineness and the reliability of those who first proclaimed that it was true and did happen. And if the resurrection did not occur, then Jesus himself is one of the worst liars this world has ever known, as are his followers, who told us that he was raised. And it would mean that the resurrection is the biggest hoax of all time, confounding even kings and presidents for centuries, even to this day. The next thing to go out the door would be forgiveness. Verse 17 reminds us that it is false to think that if the resurrection is not true, at least the cross was true, and at the very least our sins are still paid for by his blood. Not so. If Jesus was not raised, then what use was his dying and saying that all was complete? Our predicament would be worse than we first thought. For if he was not raised, then he is still dead, even though he went to the cross. And as we said, a dead saviour is still no saviour. The fourth thing to go would be hope. In verse 18, Paul draws the logical conclusion to the situation. If Christ has not been raised, then no one has been raised, nor will be raised. And anyone who has gone to the grave believing that one day they will be raised has gone there with a false hope. And any one of us who expect to see loved ones again after death will be bitterly disappointed when they find out that there was nothing after death at all, nothing that is except eternal separation from God. We'd be like the three buddies who were discussing death and one of them asked the others, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? One said, I'd like them to say, he was a great guy, he cared about his community. A second one said, I want them to say, he was a great husband and father, an example for many to follow. The third said, I want them to say, look, he's moving. With no hope of heaven, and with nothing after death, what else could you hope for? Second, Paul tells us that if Christ has not been raised, there's no purpose in life. Paul speaks about this in verse 19, saying that if there is no resurrection, then our whole life will have been wasted. Wasted attendance at worship, wasted attendance at Bible study, wasting time in prayer, reaching out to the lost or building up the saints, wasted effort. But what's more, Paul says, we would be made out to be fools who spend our whole life believing that this was the truth, shunning the world's ways, telling others to do the same, when all along we may as well have joined in with them and taken the wide, easy road that leads to hell. After all, 
that's where everyone else will be. If that was the case, then he says believers ought to be pitied because we've spent our lives barking up the wrong tree and it's all been a pointless exercise. He makes the point in verses 29 to 34 as well, which basically remind us that Paul often found himself in position, positions of danger, which would be a stupid thing to do if there was no such thing as the resurrection. Why should he subject himself to persecution and to possible death? Why indeed? What person in their right mind would, if this life was all that were offered, risk everything at the one chance he get? Of course you'd want to save yourself from death, to live life to the full. That's why verse 32 says, If the dead are not raised, well, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So many people live by that maxim, of course. It's easy to spot them in the world around us. And it's a principle of life we can all grasp, even though we don't agree with it. It's more than I can say for verse 29, though, which speaks of those who are baptised for the dead, a practice we know very little about which renders what Paul meant by this statement something that's out of our reach. But the point of the whole is made no matter what baptism for the dead was. Paul is saying if there's no resurrection, then what's the point of living? If death is all there is and nothingness and endless years of nothingness to follow death, then we'd better have every experience on earth while we can. Toward the close of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, Jesus Christ Superstar, there's a very moving scene of the crucifixion. The agony of the cross and its terrible tragedy are powerfully acted out, but sadly, it portrays a crucifixion that has no resurrection. It's a good Friday with no Easter Sunday. It's a tragedy in the fullest sense of the word. God comes to save the world, but he cannot do it in the end because he dies. There's a cross, but the tomb is not empty. That's the world's view. But the cross is not the end of the story. Hebrews 1 says, After Jesus had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He did that by rising from the grave and ascending into heaven within the truth of the resurrection is therefore the promise of our own resurrection and triumph over death and the antidote to living like the rest of the world, a hope which is good not just for the next life, but also affects how we live today. But thirdly, and thankfully, we note also that Paul says in these verses, No! Christ has been raised, and it changes everything. How great is the welcome relief of verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul's argument in verses 20 to 28 is the very opposite to what he's established in the two negative arguments we've just heard. We have heard what Paul said would be the case if Christ was not raised, so now Consider what is true because Christ has been raised. Paul bounces back with the word but. What a great word that but is in the scriptures. Christ has been raised and his resurrection has set into motion this unbreakable chain of events. We have hope in the face of death 
We have purpose in living. We have something to believe. We have the assurance that God's word is true. We have the knowledge of the forgiveness of sins. And we have a life that outlasts death. More than that, these things are true, not just because we are hoping against hope that the resurrection is true, but because the scriptures tell us that much and we believe them when they say that Jesus was delivered over to death for our justification, but raised again to be our saviour forever and ever. So these things are not true because we want them to be true, but they are true because God has said they are. And this wonderful chain of reversals also guarantees the future resurrection of all believers, just as the first fruits of a harvest herald a much larger crop to follow. Again, we think on his words. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, and just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, and when he comes, those who belong to him will be made alive. The resurrection of Christ was the first fruit, that is to say, the first apple plucked from the tree in the harvest season, the first of many, the first and the prototype of all who are in him. They too will be raised, verse 23 says, first Christ, then those who belong to him. Then also Paul points beyond what the resurrection may mean for us on a personal level to what the resurrection will mean to the whole of history and to the world. For the resurrection of Christ sets in motion a chain of events that not only includes us who are his, but also it marks the end of all things when all his enemies are put under his feet and he sits down upon the throne and makes everything and everyone subject to himself so that, as verse 28 says, he may be all in all. And that will be a fitting climax to all of history. And won't that be the biggest turn up for the books, the hugest surprise for all mankind, and the day when God will definitely have the last laugh? And given that, perhaps that's why I've heard there's a strange tradition in the Greek Orthodox Church, where on the day after their Easter Sunday was said to be set apart for telling jokes and people would save up their best jokes for that special day. And why would they do that? Because they knew they were imitating the way that God pulled a cosmic joke on the devil, who thought that his victory over the Saviour was complete, and maybe for those three days as Jesus laid in the grip of death, it may have appeared to the devil, as it did to the disciples of Jesus, that he had won the victory. But God raised his son from the dead and sat him upon the throne awaiting the day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess and heaven and earth will all submit to him. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the comic strip called BC. It's always worth a laugh. In one cartoon, there's two characters sitting together. One is reading the Bible and says, Oh no! This verse says that Jesus descended into hell. The other is shocked and says, You're kidding! Only to have the other reply, Oh, it's okay. He didn't go there to stay. He just dropped in to cancel our reservations. 
There's more truth in that cartoon than anything the Jefferson Bible ever said. For in the end, a Bible that proclaims a saviour who is still dead is one that proclaims nothing at all. So what do we make of all this? How do we conclude? Let's finish with these three things. First, let's be wary of adopting the hopeless philosophy of the world. You'll see it in verses 29 to 34 that Paul points out the complete and utter futility of his own ministry and calling and even life itself if there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. In fact, he is so bold as to say, as we've seen, that if there is no resurrection, we find this in verse 32. Let's party. Let's eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. So many people live by this motto, thinking that this life is all there is, and there's nothing more. And this type of thinking is so pervasive in society at large that it can even find its way into the church. Remember how Jesus warned us about becoming like salt, which has lost its flavour, or like light that has stopped from shining? In other words, we are to be affecting the world for the better, not the world affecting us for the worse. And if this truth about the resurrection is to have any lasting impact upon us at all, then it must be in the realm of the way we live. Secondly, let's think about this. Let's be ready to tell of your hope in the face of death. Said that somewhere in the United States, there is a fridge with Walt Disney's name on it. Not because it's his fridge, but his name is on it because he's in the fridge, although he's quite dead and has been for many years. Walt's hope was one day they would find a cure for death and thaw him out and bring him back to life. Sure, what would Paul say to that? He would say, we don't need to find a cure for death because that cure has been found in Jesus. And do you see now why the resurrection matters? It's not that we believe it even though it isn't true, so we can just keep all the juggled balls in the air. It is, on the other hand, because it is true and that everything depends upon it. For let's face it, sooner or later, we're all going to die. The day is nearer for some of us and every day is closer for all of us. The truth is that we all stand on the edge of eternity and all of us need to determine who you will put your hope in. Many people put it into their good works. Some into their so-called connection to the church or other religion or other belief. Certainly many an Aussie has died not just in serving their country but in living a life trusting in themselves. And their funeral song sadly is often something like I did it my way rather than amazing grace. And sadly too, oftentimes when I've shared the truth of the gospel at a funeral and reminded those in attendance that the only way to heaven is through him who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but my me. Often the response has been barely more than a blink. So I hope and pray this morning that your response goes a little deeper. Then third, and lastly, 
Paul wants us to be sure that your hope is in the one who can save. What Paul has told us in these verses is not just good news. It's the best news. It's gospel news. News we should be rejoicing in every day and living out before the eyes of a watching world who has no hope. What then about you? Will your hope in the face of death be found in Christ who has passed through death and lived again or in something or someone else who cannot help? In who or what will be your hope? This may be the most important question ever. My hope for you is that your hope will be in the only one who has ever died and came back again, never again to die. For he is the only one who can say, as we heard read this morning in Revelation 1, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Let's pray. Our gracious God, today we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection held out to us in the scriptures. Not because of anything we have done, but everything to do with what you have done in raising your son from the dead. And we thank you that he is the living one who died and is alive forevermore, able to save all who come to him in faith. So help us today as we consider this world in which we live that offers us no hope to bring to that world the hope we have of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all who belong to him and eternal life which will never end. Make your word live within us, we pray today in his name. Amen.